What's up, world? We're back with the Free to Work podcast. For the next few episodes, we're bringing you Free to Work Focus, Pride, a special mini-series supported by our friends at GLAAD, spotlighting some of today's leading LGBTQIA creators. On this episode, speaking of transgender founder Scott Turner Schofield, who also serves as a consultant on Euphoria, chats with Sydney Ballou, the executive producer on HBO's Legendary. Together, they discuss blazing their own trails and how to ensure authentic LGBTQIA storytelling on screen. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining the Free to Work podcast mini-series supported by GLAAD. Uh, if you're just getting familiar, Free to Work is a nonprofit, global initiative, and searchable talent discovery platform for underrepresented creators. And just as a disclaimer, we have to say the views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily state or reflect those of Free to Work. So my name is Scott Turner Schofield. Uh, I am an actor, a producer, and a transgender consultant. I started the company Speaking of Transgender, and I also work freelance with GLAAD to help people tell better trans stories in Hollywood. And I'm here with my colleague and friend, Sydney Ballou. Sydney, why don't you go ahead and tell people about yourself? Oh my, where to begin? (laughs) Um, I'm a very giggly writer, journalist, TV producer, and archivist. And uh, my specialty is doing oral histories of the ballroom community. And I currently work as a co-executive producer on HBO Max's Legendary, which is a competition reality show about the ballroom scene. So I'm very happy to be here with you, Scott. (laughs) Happy to be be here with you. And we met, so we met a couple of years ago, we're both trans men. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is how like we are literally in community together, but we're trying to create more community around ourselves, around sort of interdisciplinary and intersectional aspects of identity here in Hollywood. So let's talk about that. Like, let's get into it. We first met, speaking of community. Uh, We met when the transmasculine cohort was meeting and I happened to be in New York City and I called you and Marquise Filson was there as well and we just met at the hotel and interfaced through the internet with gosh probably 50 other trans guys in entertainment who are part of this group which is a whole community that we're really intentionally building to bring together folks like us who are totally underrepresented in media to do this work. And then around Christmas of that year, you called me because you had written this piece for the New York Times about ballroom. It was one of your history pieces and it had gotten a lot of play. And the folks from Legendary, HBO Max's Legendary called you up. Do you wanna tell that story? Yeah, sure. Basically, I've been doing work research on the ballroom scene for some time. I was doing a PhD at the University of Pennsylvania Um, and doing oral histories of senior members in the community because I noticed like no one has really written down ballroom history and I felt like it's about time and you know I think it's very important for folks in the community to be be centered in telling our own stories because oftentimes there's a lot of outsiders who love to talk about ballroom but ironically not actually consult people um, in the community about their own experience. And for the longest time I was working on that. And I remember I had written this piece. It was around the time that the Supreme Court was doing, they had started hearings to talk about whether or not trans folks would be included in federal protections of the workplace. And so I thought, oh, this is really interesting because it's about 
you know, trans visibility essentially in uh, the workplace. And this is kind of something we already kind of discussed and sort of play with in the ballroom scene through this category called realness, which, you know, with folks who don't know, or if you watch Paris is Burning or Pose, realness is kind of the idea of trans people kind of like portraying an archetype in society. So for example, you know, you could have like a business executive realness category where be like a trans person who has to pass as like a straight cis person in the workplace, like a Wall Street banker or something. And uh, they also have that for gay folks as well, gay and lesbian uh, realness passing as like, again, passing as a straight person in society. And so there's a debate in the community at the moment of like, do we still need this? You know, the, there's a lot of LGBTQ people in the media and, you know, other spaces. And so there's a little bit of a debate in the community about that. I wrote this piece for the New York Times and it was really interesting because I, I was surprised to see it really how far it's gone. <laughs> but yeah, the showrunners of Legendary hit me up and they were like, hey, you know, we're working on this competition reality show about the ballroom scene for HBO Max. And, you know, for us, it's a lot easier to hire somebody from the community who's a writer to write for unscripted TV rather than the other way around because ballroom is just so complex and it's hard to kind of like really break it down for somebody. It'd be so much better if there's somebody who has knowledge and for me, I've been in the ballroom scene for 10 years. I've walked balls, I've thrown balls, I've won trophies. So, you know, it just seemed perfect. Um, and so, yeah, I remember I hit you up and Nick Adams at GLAD. And I was just like, hey, I got this opportunity. What should I do? And for me, I, I, was, trying, I was trying to get into scripted TV. And I actually like hit up all of my friends who you know, or WGA or, you know, work in other aspects of the industry. And everybody was like, hey, so this seems like a great opportunity. You know, you should go for it. I think there's a lot to learn, even though it's not exactly what you want. It's also still like, I think it'll be very intriguing and it will still teach you a lot. And I remember with you and Nick, you know, you gave me great recs for, you know, lawyers and also were just kind of coaching me on certain things. And that was really just sort of helpful again, to have that like community support of like, okay, here's some folks who I can go to and, you know, <laughs> all the minds and pitfields <laughs> that I think you and Nick have navigated over the years. It was just kind of like, it was very much like ballroom where you're looking for a mother or father to kind of guide you. And that's actually like, when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, like I have my house mother, Giselle, I'm in the house of extravaganza and I, I know I called Giselle for certain things. And it was also like kind of nice to know that I have like Scott and Nick who I could like count on as my like Hollywood fathers. <laughs> oh, never, I've never been a daddy. That's the only, you know? <laughs> I just made you one, Charlie. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Well, and you know, for me, it was one of those amazing moments where I was so happy because, you know, how often do you hear Hollywood people saying it's actually better for us to get the person who understands the authenticity of the community that we're representing and train them in Hollywood rather than to rely on someone we know in Hollywood and help them approximate, you know, <laughs> get, you know do the crayon drawing of the masterpiece, right? <laughs> like, so it was this, it was such a pleasure in that moment because it was like, yes, like, and, you know, very much like a rising tide raises all ships 
right? Mm -hmm. like, like you making sure that you could have the best credit and be the best leader and really have the ability to use your power, which is the power of your authenticity in that show and make, you know, that has the knock-on effect in so many ways because there's the audience, right? Who feels honored and seen and the culture gets properly or more properly put out into the world, right? So no more like, inauthentic representations of ballroom no more like white straight cis people's idea of ballroom right like right. it's interesting ballroom is such a large and complex world literally we've been going for decades yeah. so to try and boil it down to this format of game show which is what legendary ultimately is right like we sit in the same space as The Voice or RuPaul's Drag Race or any sort of game related thing, even something like Jeopardy, you know, we're in that- Project space. Runway even. Exactly, like, yeah. like we're in that same space. So you're like trying to take this like decades long, hyper complex tradition and figure out where to edit essentially. And I think edit or shape, like I feel like that's kind of like my role in a lot of ways on the show is like, okay, how do we either pare this down or also make it digestible for an unknowing public, like people who are coming to ballroom for the first time? So it just kind of, I, I don't know, I was saying this the other day, I was like speaking to a class at Occidental College. They were teaching a course on ballroom, <laughs> which is so interesting. <laughs> I know, 2021, like this is where we're at. Like the kids are learning about you know, the things. And just one of the things I was explaining was it's so interesting when you're actually in the room and decisions are being made. Because I think when we see things like this, when like, you know, whether it's like a cultural forum, especially if it's like something that's more underground, like it's adapted for the mainstream, you're like, okay, how and why did these things happen, you know? And it's just kind of interesting to sort of be there and really have to weigh your options about what is possible because obviously TV is a very specific format. So decisions have to be made, you know, you can't have everything. Right, but it's a more ethical process, at least, right? Like, sure, we're distilling it down or you're distilling it down, you know, into a different kind of format, right? That is very Hollywood, which, okay, that is what it is. But at least the reasoning behind it comes from, again, a place of authenticity. And it's about how can we make the authenticity shine through this format, as opposed to like appropriate the idea and use it as our fantasy of what this community is. Right. Yeah. Which, no, part of the magic is the specificity. So if you just kind of overlook that, you know, it's not going to taste the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and two, so there's the audience experience of that, right. Which is great because it's, well, for all the reasons that we've said, but then on the other side of it too, like, now you are a co-executive producer. And when you get those credits, obviously this audience probably knows a lot more about that, but it's like, you're not going to come go backwards from that, right? Yeah. You're now installed, you, you know, you come in at a co-executive producer level or higher, right. and it's not like there's much higher to go. Right. <laughs> so, so it's amazing to install someone. And I think it's amazing for people listening to, to realize that the value of the work that you've done as a historian Right, and as someone who has is a part of that culture, deeply embedded within that culture, as a you know a history making part of that culture yourself as well as like you're the first trans man to win uh, a uh, title. grand prize at the biggest ball in New York City, the Latex Ball, yes, a voting category. Right, so to show that that authenticity is what got you into Hollywood, mm. right, that you can actually bring that 
and you you didn't have this experience before. Right. I mean, from my own perspective, it's like my big TV break was on The Bold and the Beautiful, which is a show that 30 million people watch. It's a daytime drama, but 30 million people around the globe watch it every single day. I was the first out trans actor in daytime television, and I did have an award-winning acting career before I got into TV. But what brought me into that role was the role was Maya's mentor was what they called me. And I was supposed to be this like, you know, leader of a support group that Maya met when she was first transitioning and we became friends. And then I came back around into her life to, or my character came back into her life to help her negotiate her relationship, you know, and, and disclosing that she was trans in this relationship that she was mm-hmm. in. And what clinched that role for me was that the, the people kind of realized that I am that kind of mentor figure, that that is like mm-hmm. Scott Turner Schofield comes with that authenticity. And also I happen to actually be a transgender actor, mm-hmm. right? And that they could actually bring that forward into the role. And, and there's so much about that story, like so much in Hollywood is about the story behind it. So you came with your story, I came with my story, and together, you know, we were able to break in to something that I don't think either, you know, in a way and at a level that I don't think either one of us saw coming. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, I I feel like you're pointing to something that is really crucial, which is right now Hollywood is really looking for authentic voices, right? And like we should let the people who actually have these experiences tell their story, <laughs> which is- Soccer. <laughs> I know, it's like, we finally got here, yay, right? 2021, like, yeah. like yeah. how is this new? I know, it seems so intuitive, but huh, you know, just so powerful too. It's funny you mentioned that, because I was like thinking, you know, my aunt, I remember my aunt Bobby used to like watch The Bold and the Beautiful all the time, and I'm like, and I know, like, the coolest trans guy on that show. That's, like, so amazing. <laughs> and you just, you wouldn't believe yeah. it. You know, the the stories that I heard back from people, and especially given trans masculine invisibility, which is yeah. a real thing. You know, the, the numbers are still, like, three trans women stories to every one trans guy's stories that are being put out there, you know, minimum. And, you know, non-binary folks are also in the same boat. Like, non-binary invisibility is even less, you know, and it's something people kind of, I get pushback sometimes because they're like, you're on TV, like, how are you invisible? And it's like, okay, but besides me, name like two other trans guys, which until recently was really hard for people to do. Mm, I mean, even then it's still kind of like niche, you know, of, of who, who would even know? You know, and it, it's funny you say this because I'm actually rewatching Disclosure right now because I'm going to be doing this Twitter thread thing for Netflix. And when they're talking about that point of invisibility, again, it just points to like why it's so important to share our stories, to speak up, but also like to let us in the door (laughs) and just like take up that space. It definitely starts with people like you, Scott. I think it's very, very big. Well, both of us in the community that we're all a part of too, you know, and I mean, that's what's so cool about this moment, you know, and I think at some point we're going to look back and be like, wow, that was actually a really special time that we were a part of you know, you know it's funny you say that too because I literally was thinking about this today because I mean with my trans story I I mean I first identified uh I came out maybe gosh I'm like trying to think now <laughs> over 10 years ago um well over 10 15 years ago um as uh gay and I identified as a lesbian and so for my transness I kind of like that came a little later, 
And I was thinking, you know, when I first came out as a lesbian, it was just kind of like, I feel like so much political work had already been done, you know, as a lesbian that I was like kind of inheriting. There was like a kind of legacy of sorts, you know? I almost feel like there was a little too, almost like a little toolkit, you know? There were all the lesbian jokes, there were the U-Haul jokes, there were, you know, little dyke bars, you know? Even the idea of being like a little baby dyke, right? Or, you know, and owning the word dyke as well, like the political power of that and, you know, and all of the history and all of that. And I, I think a lot about this moment of being trans and just kind of feeling like, oh, I didn't get like a little cute gift basket <laughs> when I came out as trans. Like, I wish there was more of like a little, you know, zhuzh to that, you know, whereas, yeah. and I realized like, oh, we are the ones, we are creating that legacy for future people. And I think this has become also more obvious to me. <laughs> Scott, we've talked about this. The more I've like either taken generals, <laughs> met other industry people, and like everybody has a trans son. <laughs> it's like it's like really cute. I mean, I love it. You, you have know, a family tree of of writers and producers who have trans sons. I, I, I'm okay. gonna start documenting all of them. Yeah. I mean, and also obviously those are the people I'm hitting up. Like. Yes. Who who are those allies? They are those really important bridge people, right? Yes. Like they're the people who really fundamentally understand how important this is. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's what I'm saying is like, cause when I look back, I mean, I came out, it was like 2007, eight. And like, when I look back then, you know, it was all about Ellen for one, right? She was like the biggest thing. And it was so exciting too, that she was so famous and well-loved and hilarious because it was like, wow, there's possibility of the world to like me and whatever. There was, there were possibilities, you know, to me, that's like what it's all about is like possibility models. So to me, when I look at like you and other trans masculine friends and like oh we are building that same legacy for all of these trans sons who are out there <laughs> because it's you know it's the work that needs to be done even though it feels kind of lonely because you're like oh i wish there was a gift basket but well, i know it's i when you said that i was i was thinking about the movie 1914 and like you know you're walking into like the dugout like and there's fire going on all around you i mean it's just like like get in there get in your foxhole and start shooting like that's, that's sort of where we are it feels thankfully a little better in hollywood but not right now in the world right yeah, totally. i mean i think one of the biggest things that i experience is like a keep me up awake at night, heart pounding sense of responsibility to do this really right and well. Mm. And I mean, like I work on Euphoria and you know, that show is bringing trans realness to the world in a huge way. And mm. you know, I, I have these stories about, you know, like little things, like little words where it's like, like, please let's not say that, <laughs> you know, like, let's make sure, like, let's do this and not, you know, really struggling with, it's not that I want to get in the way of your art, but I want you to understand that there's a huge privilege with having this megaphone, mm. right? And, you know, like, I think Jen Richards says it really well in Disclosure on Netflix. She says, you know, we just need more because then if we had more stories, the odd clumsy, 
you know, representation would just sort of fall away. But right now it's like when it's the only one, right? Yeah, there's so much pressure on it to be amazing. Yeah. And you know, that, that minority stress too, of being the only one, being the trans consultant on the show and like everybody's bringing everything from, do we need to put up all gender signs on the porta potties? Right. <laughs> you know, to like, to like, okay, in scene three where this happens, you know, let's bring in the intimacy coordinator and we've got this happening. And we've got this, you know what I mean? Like just really kind of, you know, and it's like wonderful, but at the same time, it's very much, it's very pressured, right? Of like, but it's coming from a place of responsibility of like, yeah, we really need to set this up in the direction you know, and in a direction of inclusivity and, and of remembering who you're talking about and including them. Yeah, no, I, it goes back to kind of what we were saying too, of like including trans people in the process making. I mean, I think the biggest detriment when people mess up, they just like are not listening <laughs> and also not acknowledging when they're out of their element. Like that's kind of like been my big thing of like, you know, when people don't acknowledge, like, you know what, actually, I don't know a lot about trans folks, or yeah, I do have a trans kid, but actually, I don't know what it means to work with somebody in the workplace who is trans, or to creatively, like, have somebody working with me, you know what I mean? Like, I always feel like where people mess up is when, um, you know, they just make either a lot of assumptions about their own knowledge base, and are not able to just, like, defer to people, like, I think in this larger conversation culturally that we're having around eradicating toxic masculinity and creating, you know, non-toxic workspaces, it's like, yes, acknowledging when you don't know something, <laughs> you know, humbly, humbly, <laughs> you know, submitting to, um, the, I still have more to learn. Yes, I'm a big executive. Yes, I've won Emmys, but actually there's a lot that I don't know and thank you for telling me like I think we should uh work more towards a culture that does that <laughs> and rewards people for you know just knowing when they're out of their element and knowing to like lean on others for help you know yeah and I think Hollywood too like particularly film and television making is such a collaborative endeavor right that like you wouldn't I don't know how to do set design, so I'm not going to sit there and and like sort of tell people what to do based on what my idea of what set design is. No, there's somebody for that job and we bring them in. And it seems like, you know, there there's sort of two things happening. One, the the role of the trans consultant is actually becoming a thing mm. in the same way that intimacy coordination wasn't a thing until sort of 2019-ish, right? In the way that it really has become established now, trans consulting is becoming a role and there's, you know, a pay scale for it and, you know, a line item on the budget where you can bring somebody in to do your, you know, your pre-production safety meeting and be there during intimacy scenes or, or help you on your script, right? Like those things all are becoming codified into how Hollywood works but it takes the people who are actually doing that work. And it's one of the things that I loved about Disclosure, for instance, you know, when they were creating that documentary, they wanted only trans people to work on it, right? Yeah. They had this, you know, this, this really strict policy and it, it held up their production process because it took a long time to find, you know, to find people. And if they couldn't find people to take specific roles, like to be a gaffer or, you know, a cinematographer, 
any, think of all the different roles, right? Right. And they hired someone who was cis and then they found people who wanted to learn that job who could shadow them, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a a professional development opportunity as well. And I just, like living your politics like that was so amazing. And now we have a whole crop of people who have this amazing award-winning documentary that has really changed things for the world, you know, as a resume credit. Yeah, no, it's totally huge, you know, and I I think, you know, what you're saying is totally right of like, you know, when you're not able to find people like train people, because this goes back to this question of equity, which I think people need to really think in terms of abundance, like, yes, it can seem like there's only so many roles or whatever places for folks to be, but actually, you know, turns out there's, you know, however many shows are there on TV, you know, how many, you know, network streamers, and I feel like there are even more streamers that kind of keep popping up. Like, I just feel like having an abundance mentality to working with trans people and like truly employing us, you know, cause I, I would say even going a step further, at least on the writing end of like, not just consulting, you know, but like, just hire us, Absolutely. you know? <laughs> like there are, and cause I, the other thing is like, we see this happen a lot. And I mean, in my case, I came from journalism to working on a TV show, right? And it was just because I had a specific type of expertise in a topic that needed to be worked on for a show. And there's a lot of trans folks out there. I just think sometimes people don't do the work (laughs) of like actually trying to see who's out there, you know? And you would be surprised because there's many of us who, you know, are playwrights, who are, um, you know, journalists or, you know, write short essays, et cetera, authors. It's just, I feel like, especially when I see people who want to do shows or stories about trans folks, I'm like, there should be like a due diligence almost. I'm like, oh, there should be like a nice little checklist. Like first watch disclosure and think about the stakes of your show. (laughs) It's so interesting you say that because it's not like you were just a random trans person that they brought. And this is something I say all the time as a consultant too. I think one of the things that people you know, people with power say, oh, my like accountant's brother is trans, or I met this trans person at a cocktail party, you know, they they work in HR, but it doesn't matter, you know, like I'm going to have them consult on the story of my show. That's not what we're talking about. It's not, (laughs) right? Like, like, yes, every trans story is one person's trans story. Like each experience is going to be different, but at the work that, for instance, the work that you're doing, you're a writer, you're like a professional writer, right? So you know how to tell story, which is why they brought you on as a writer and as someone who understands how story functions, that makes, that's what a producer does. So then you became a producer, right? So it's like, actually there is a, you know, it wasn't random, right? Yeah, and I will say also beyond that, I mean, my role as a producer, there's so many other elements because it is about the overall creative production. And again, that, that goes down to like costumes, you know, also categories, like all the other elements, music even. For me, I'm an expert in this world, you know? So it was kind of like, oh, who's an expert? Oh, Andrew Trans. Oh, and you're actually like also right. Like there were just like a lot of things that kind of lined up. And I I wanted to say something though, Scott, you know, when you're saying there's like that lazy, like, oh, my kid's trans or I have a friend. I almost, it makes me think, cause I'm, you know, if you were going to write a story about a black person, 
you would hire a black person to, yeah, I would hope, right? But I do think we've gotten to the point of shaming people who are like, oh, but I have a black friend. I think we need to like get there with the trans stuff too. Like none of this, oh, I have a trans friend, so I know something like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, almost like how can we get to that point? So it's not like people are periphery, you know, whatever. And I'm not gonna go that extra mile of actually like hiring somebody who's like an expert on this experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I want to pause to let everybody who's feeling defensive chill out a little bit. What's great is you're listening to this and you're listening to trans people. Like that's what we're asking you to do. (laughs) So you're already, you've already got your foot in the door. Like you're already doing the right thing. And the next step really is, and this is something that I think we both, we both talk about this when we're hanging outside (laughs) on our balcony, (laughs) right? Like the frustration where it's like, so the writer doesn't want to be replaced. Right. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, it's my story. So I want to write it. And I can't tell you as a consultant, I've worked on unscripted, scripted television series. I've worked on documentaries. I've worked on feature films. I, I, at this point, have quite a resume. And I'm telling you, like the inner experience of being a trans person is deep and rich. And it's hard even for some trans people, like not every trans person is, is able to tell the story. Like there are a few of us that are amazing at doing it, right? But that's like in itself, the level of artistry that's needed. And when you don't have that experience, like you just can't approximate it. I've spent upwards of 50 hours working with a cis writer on a trans screenplay and it just never could come out right. And I'm like, hun, it's cause you're not trans. You need to bring, like, you could keep paying me. I'll take your money, <laughs> like, you know? And it and that's when the relationships end. That's when people stop calling you back when you're calling them to the mat, to the floor to say, look, like you need to hire someone and credit them. Or, or it comes back to the old saw of, oh, but there's nobody with the credits. There's nobody who's famous enough. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Uh, and even that, I know, I know it's annoying because it's like, how many times have people, cis people, especially like cis white straight guys, like who did not work in this field, come from journalism, come from a different background who kind of like got into it. Like how many people have been given a chance and like, we haven't even in talked about it. that's based in nepotism, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> really? Or someone who just got into the industry because their dad was in the industry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's levels. There's, <laughs> there's levels to that. But, you know, this is also an industry where you learn by doing, which means that when you have an opportunity to do, it is, like, incredibly valuable and goes so very, very, very far, right? But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think... Again, if everybody's looking for authentic voices, my question to those people who want to tell trans stories, ironically, without trans people, like, what is your impetus? You know, like, is this your story to tell? Maybe it's not. Or maybe this, again, it's, you know, a story to share with a trans person. Maybe there's like some opportunity for collaboration. But I do really, you know, because we were talking about this, Scott, about how like, You know, when you do get people who try and do this workaround, you know, and especially when scripts pass through so many different hands, you know, if something actually goes to production, then it's the production company that gives their notes, then it's the network that gives their notes. And then there's, you know, the sausage that is produced, which is a show. And then the trans character just sounds like a bunch of bullet points from like a glad PowerPoint about what it means to be trans. And you're like, wait, is that a character? Like, what is that? And then, you know, it's like, 
you lose again the authenticity because you don't actually have an authentic perspective so it even like defeated its purpose in the first place right and i think what's also interesting with that in general is it raises that quite like it, it already shows that there's a demand you know to me the fact that everybody's got a trans son who is like <laughs> wants to see great tv says that there you know people want to hear our stories so like again we want to tell authentic stories and like share those with authentic voices and also have a larger eye to the question of equity that's behind all of this right like nice. i think you were starting to get at like some of the stats about trans folks and just sort of what is really at stake yeah it's important to actually invest in trans writers and like actually support us pay us share our stories and also support our careers which and you know by the way like trans artists can do not trans stories like if you're a storyteller you're a storyteller and you yeah. might have this particular expertise that you can bring authenticity to but also you can tell you know you can be a part of we, we grow up in cis culture so we exist <laughs> like we're you know it's, it's true. hard it's true. right it's like, true. we just have extra value to offer and that's the piece of it I think in all of these discussions that we're having about diversity and inclusion in Hollywood it's like this is extra this enriches this isn't like extra work it's extra value right you know right what I mean like it's it's making it better I I always talk about how you know I've I've done almost every on-camera position you can do from like I've starred in a movie and also I've been a clapper in the audience <laughs> <laughs> like I, when you watch Judge Judy you'll see me in the background from time to time like I worked on that show for a while you know I talk about learning by doing um <laughs> I was an extra once I was an extra for a while and they brought in a Navy SEAL like they brought in they paid someone a lot of money to come in and teach us how to hold a gun correctly you're that's how much you're paying to have the background artists <laughs> don't you want like your main story to be authentic yes. and that's you know i'll go back to singing the praises of euphoria because i think they're doing it so incredibly right and well there because hunter schaefer herself right is someone with she's an artist she is a storyteller herself right so like she understands how to tell story and you know they listen to her and i sit there and you know make sure i do everything from you know, making sure they're all gender bathrooms, right? To sitting there and going like, yeah, let's go further with that because that is the authenticity. A trans girl just living her life, mm. right? And having a drug addict best friend slash sweetheart and dealing with call and with high school in a very complicated world. That's what she's doing. And that's what people love about it because she isn't an after school special mm. about what it means to be trans. She's like, a deep person and finally trans girls can look on screen and see someone who is a deep person dealing with deep issues right right you know yeah you know and i think about how rich that character is because one thing that i've noticed with storytelling the more specific you get ironically the more universal the story is 100%. you know because there's so many aspects of that character that there's i, I know so many cis people really latch onto as well, right? Like there's so many aspects of who she is, of having a friend who's an addict, of, you know, being the person who has your stuff together, of like being an outsider and an outcast in high school. I mean, there's just like so many, so many levels to that. And it's, it is so beautiful. And obviously that show is like gorgeous, but <laughs> just uh, how we're able to finally, I don't know, have some depth in our transition is also not like, the only thing that defines us. I mean, that's like a whole other issue. We didn't even 
<laughs> kind of get to them. You know, and when you finally do get the story, it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> you know, um, how do we have depth and nuance? And that is definitely a great example. But yeah, I mean, I guess we're, this is where we are right now. And, and I'm just so grateful to Free to Work for, first of all, be a place where people can go and find people to participate and to, to be, a, you know, creatives to come in and who are diverse and on sort of all of the different levels that are important. You know, like Free the Work is providing the resource that creatives in power need to find the people who can populate their collaboration, right, and bring all of their extra amazing expertise to the work to enrich it. And I think where we are right now is in this place where we have to really focus on it and talk about it and explain why. But what it comes down to is just sitting across the table or across that Zoom from that creative who has the power and saying, you really just need to hire us. Yeah, I know. And, you know, and, and we're out there. I mean, there's already like trans writers who are out there doing it or, you know, other creatives, actors, actresses. I mean, again, you'd have to um, not assume <laughs> and actually do the work of looking, which is um, a lot easier than, than you think. It's so much easier. And, and so many like free the work, glad there are people who are already doing it there. It, this is really happening. And it's great. Again, it's like one of these moments where I look back at, where I think about looking back and going, this is going to be so cool to talk about in 20 years, you know, yeah, I, made our rich and nuanced, amazing series and movies and <laughs> whatever. Right. Hey, you know, Scott, I needed that. I appreciate you saying that honestly. Oh, that makes me very hopeful. I appreciate, I mean, I am optimistic. I do, <laughs> I feel like thinking back to what you said, the 1914, which is a very graphic image. Can I just say? <laughs> yes, but it feels like a hundred bills right now, a hundred anti-trans bills in the United States right now. Yeah, there's a, there's levels, there's levels. We, we have children. Yeah, we, well, it's, you know, you have to admit, it is interesting that we've become the new, uh, what do they call it? Culture war topic. Yep. You know what, you know what, okay, if I'm gonna like flip that, it says that we are, I mean, we're clearly important enough to be thought about right now. You know, if I look at the arc of history, it's like, okay, like we are gonna get through this because we have to. Also historically, we've always done that. So, but yeah, no, it says volumes because I do think it's usually in those moments where a society decides who they wanna be, right? And like, I feel like we're having that conversation right now in so many ways and you're right we are in the battle zone and we are kind of doing that cultural work and if anything now that you framed it that way I'm like this is more impetus for people to put us in those positions of power because media television film has always been the place of kind of like responding to that and also leading I always go back to this, but <laughs> as silly as it sounds, I remember that time, I think it was back in like 2007, 2008, where I remember Joe Biden went on Meet the Press and this is when everyone was debating gay marriage. And at the time, the conversation was all about statistics, all about data, data, data. Here's all the data about why gay people should get married. And like, there was a student, unfortunately, who committed suicide, I remember, who was bullied at Rutgers. And I remember this because I was an undergrad at Penn and, you know, it was just like so close by and the conversation shifted. And then it was about, look, homophobia is killing our kids, right? Uh -huh. 
And I remember Joe Biden went on Meet the Press and he said, people don't realize how much Will and Grace has changed the way people think about gay people on TV. And, you know, people kind of like laughed at Joe Biden because it was, you know, it's Joe Biden. But also, yeah, Will and Grace is an amazing show, (laughs) first of all. It's hilarious. And it gave people an opportunity to just see gay people in their homes, right, every day. And that intimate connection, which is something that TV gives, I mean, we are not quite at that level, I would say, um, when it comes to trans representation. We're getting close. You know, I do think like Euphoria gives us a lot. I do think something like Legendary Pose, mm-hmm. um, it does a lot, but I there's still a lot more work to be done. Like in so many ways, I mean, Will and Grace, right before then there was, you know, Ellen's show as well. And I just think about how that opened the door for a lot of people and there was still a lot of political work to be done. So it just says we have a huge opportunity to lead the way as far as like trans representation is concerned by actually allowing trans folks to tell our own stories and like shift this conversation so we don't have to get these awful updates about what's happening in the world with anti-trans bills. Exactly. Well, you know, and disclosure brings up that, you know, trans visibility creates vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, absolutely being a part of Hollywood's transgender tipping point of 2015, right? You know, what's happening right now is in direct response. It is the pendulum swinging, right? Yeah. But especially just right now, like I'm thinking, you know, they just convicted Derek Chauvin of mm. George Floyd's murder just now, like as we were starting this conversation, right? Yeah. And that point that you made about like, there are these moments where you have an opportunity to decide who you want to be in history. Mm. Yeah. It, it's a separate issue, but everything is interrelated. We're all interconnected, right? And I think, you know, when we're looking at this travesty of these 100 bills aimed at trans children, like mm. literally trying to make it a felony for you to help a suicidal trans kid. Mm literally making it so that trans children can't participate in team sports while they're in school. Ugh, yeah. What the hell is going on, right? And yeah, that the empathy machine, right? Roger Ebert said film is an empathy machine, right? Like that the empathy machine of film and television can fix that. Mm. I really believe it. I've watched it happen in my own life. Yeah. I've watched it happen in our community life. And I'm just, I'm really happy to be doing it with you. And, you know, I, I look forward to continuing to talk about this with you. So thank you so much. So thank you to Free the Work for having us. And be sure to search freethework.com for more filmmakers to work with and follow the Free the Work podcast on all podcast platforms for the next episode of this mini series. And thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I'm Scott Turner Schofield. I'm Sydney Ballou. And thanks for including us in your uh, listening. Thanks for listening. You can watch Sydney's work on Legendary and Scott's work on Euphoria on HBO Max. And don't forget, follow Free the Work and Glad on all social media platforms for updates on the next episode drop.